Well, good morning. Uh, welcome to Journey Church. My name is Scott. I'm, I'm the lead pastor here. And, and as the, the sign says, we're in this series we're calling Come and See, where, where we're looking at the story of Jesus as told by John. And, and as we enter into that time this morning, I want to just thank you for, for just a moment for, for entering into this, this space and, and place this morning. And, and when I say that, I'm not talking about the, the Center for the Arts, as, as wonderful as the, the building might be, but what I'm speaking about is entering into this, this sacred space that we gather together, whether it's online or, or in person, as we center ourselves around Jesus. And what makes this sacred, what makes this special is, is again, not the, the lights, it's, it's not the location, it's not even the, the wonderful music or the, or the words that you might hear, it's, it's the presence of God. It's Jesus in us, with us, and for us. That's what makes this opportunity special and unique. It's entering into the presence of God. Now, the Jewish tradition, especially in, in the Old Testament, especially when you look at Moses after they escaped uh, from Egypt and entered out into Israel, their tradition, their, their mindset, their belief was that the presence of God, the dwelling place of God was the tabernacle. Now, you might remember the tabernacle. It was this, this tent that they kind of drug around with them as they went, entered into the wilderness, as they traveled around the wilderness. And this is where they said the presence of God was. Was. This is actually where they said that God's space, which is where like heaven and God's space and then like our space, earth, they would say this is where it intersects. This is where it all comes together. This is where heaven touches earth. This is the intersection of heaven and earth in, in the tabernacle, in this, in this tent. Now this is what John is kind of pointing to and referring to. In John chapter 1, verse 14, we looked at this a couple weeks ago when John said that the word became flesh and he made his dwelling among us. Now, when he's talking about a dwelling, he was talking, he actually, the words could actually be translated or changed into that he tented or tabernacled among us. That dwelling was that same idea of a tent or a tabernacle. He's saying that, that Jesus came and, and he tented or he tabernacled among us. In fact, what he was really telling us is that Jesus was becoming the new tabernacle, the new dwelling place of God, that in Jesus we find the intersection of heaven and earth. We find the, the intersection between God's space and our space in Christ, heaven touching earth. And this is what, what Jesus was pointing to last week when we looked at this story, right, where, where Jesus finds Nathaniel. You remember how we talked about this last week? Jesus actually finds Philip first, and Philip, he says, follow me, and then Philip does. And then first thing Philip does is he goes and finds Nathaniel, and he says, hey, I think we found the one that Moses wrote about. He, it's, his name is Jesus of, of Nazareth. And, and Nathan, Nathaniel is like, uh, does anything good come out of Nazareth and, and Philip's like, come and see, come and check it out. And as Philip or as Nathaniel's walking towards Jesus, Jesus says, Look, there's an Israelite who does not have any deceit within him. And Nathaniel was like, like How do you even know who I am? And, and Jesus says, You know, before you left that fig tree, when, when Philip was coming to get you, I, I saw you. And, and Nathaniel's response was like, Man, this is amazing. You are the son of God, you are the king of Israel. And Jesus, like, you thought that was cool? You are going to see greater things. 
You're going to see greater things. You're going to see heaven opened up, and you're going to see heaven coming down on earth, on me and in me and around me. You are going to see greater things. And so Philip, Nathaniel, Andrew, all of the disciples and, and more to come, they would be witnesses to the greater things that were to come. And we're actually going to talk about some of them today. But not only would they be witnesses, but eventually they would actually be invited into participation of the greater things that Jesus said he would be doing. We read this invitation in John chapter 14. I apologize, I'm skipping ahead just a little bit, but we won't get there for months. So you'll actually have, by then you'll have forgotten I even talked about it. But here, John chapter 14, verses 11 and 12, it says, Jesus says, believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. That the dwelling place of the Father is in me. Or at least believe on the evidence of the works themselves. Very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works that I have been doing. And they will do even greater things. Things, uh, greater things than these. Because I am going to the Father. Now it's going to be a while before Jesus actually says these words to his disciples. Again, that's in John chapter 14. And it would be a while before he said those words. And in this moment, I, I just wonder, like, what, what was Nathaniel and, and Philip, what were they thinking? Like, they heard Jesus say these things. What, what were they thinking? What were they expecting? What were they hoping for? What, they probably didn't even have a, a glimpse or an understanding of what Jesus meant yet by greater things. But it wouldn't be long before they found out. So let me ask you just a few questions this morning. And I'm going to ask you kind of a bunch of questions this morning. So just kind of be ready for that. But here's a few that I want to ask as we launch into this next passage. It's this. Are you expecting greater things? Maybe as you just enter in here this morning, did you come in expecting something great? And I'm not talking about the songs or the message, but like the presence of God, the dwelling place of God, like the gathering of the family of God centered around Jesus? Did you ex do you, are you expecting greater things? And are you hoping? Are you praying for? Are you believing for better things? Maybe there's something where you're like, I am praying for greater things right now in my life, in my home, in my health, in my job, my, my whatever. And then do you see places, spaces here on earth that could use just a little bit more heaven? Could you, can you see places where, where it might need a, an invasion of heaven here on earth? Again, that might be somewhere in your neighborhood, in your family, in your, in your workplace, or somewhere in your life, or maybe it's even beyond your life in a whole different community or, or country, but you see a thing that needs something greater. And then the last question, are you open? Are you open to participating in greater things. Today, tomorrow, in the days ahead, are you open? If you brought a Bible with, with you today, let me invite you to open it to John chapter 2. We're going to read starting in John chapter 2 and in verse 1. And, and as we've done for the last few weeks, I'm going to invite you, if you're willing and, and able to stand with me, to, to stand as we read the Word of God this morning. And as if you've been here the last few weeks, you know that at the end, I, I say, I'll say that this is the word of the Lord, and if you're up to responding, uh, thanks be to God, you can feel free to do that as well. But here's what it says in John chapter 2, starting in verse 1. He says, on the third day, a wedding took place 
at Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples also had been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, to have no more wine. Woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied. My hour has not come. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Nearby stood six stone jars, stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. So they, so they filled them to the brim. They told him, then he told them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. They did so, and the master of the banquet tasted the water and had that had been turned into wine. He did not realize where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. Then he called the bridegroom aside and said, everyone brings out the choice wine first and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink. But you have saved the best until now. What Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. After this, he went down to Capernaum with his mother and brothers and his disciples. They stayed there for a few days. This is the word of the Lord. You can have a seat. So here, John tells us that it's the next day. Like the day after he just hung out with Nathaniel and Philip, talked about greater things. And the next day, it says that Jesus is at a wedding. The wedding is in Cana, which, just a side note, is the hometown of, of Nathaniel, which is kind of an interesting piece of information, but that's what it is. And it says that Jesus' mother is there. They don't refer to it by name, just says Jesus' mother. We know this is Mary, but they never call her Mary, but it's, <laughs> that's all right. And he says that also that, that the disciples were there as well. Now, John is, is intentional to point out like, the people that are there, and specifically that the disciples were there. And we'll get back to that probably in a few moments. But all of those people were there because this wedding and all weddings in, in a Jewish tradition and culture were a big deal. Like these were a big deal. And I know that, that probably in, in our culture, in our tradition, like our marriages are a big deal. I know our, mine was 20 some odd years ago. Like we planned the location. We planned like the ceremony. We planned all of the details including the, the music and, and the food and the drink and, and even the cake. And can I just pause for a second and just say, can we go back to cake at weddings? Like, no more cupcakes, no more mini cupcakes, no more, like, popsicles. Like, I just want a piece of cake at the wedding. Just a side note, I just, I'm just putting it out there. You guys, if you're getting married soon, I know there are a couple of you that might be, but just something to consider. But this, this, this was all because this was a big deal. Right? It, it took long to plan for, but here's the thing about American weddings, is that they're usually over in, in less, and I've performed plenty of them, the ceremony itself is usually done within 45 minutes now, and, and usually like people will maybe be there and hang out for a few hours. The, the wedding party starts in the morning, but the, the guests don't come until 1 or 4, whenever the wedding is, and maybe you hang out until 8 or 9 when the, when the music's done, but the party's over, right? Like you, you go home and, and it's done in less than a day. But in the Jewish tradition, these, the wedding ceremony and the celebration, it would go on for a week. It would go on, it'd be filled with, with ceremony, it'd be filled with celebration, it'd be filled with fasting, and it'd be filled with drinking, and it'd be filled with, with wine, unless the wine runs out. 
right? And for us, again, like that doesn't sound like a big deal. We just run down to Target. We run down to Freddy's. We, wherever you want, you pick up a box of wine and we'll be just fine, right? Like it, but it was a big deal. I remember preaching on this passage when we lived in, in Rwanda. And in Rwanda, it was maybe somewhat similar. Like they, their weddings took all day. And it's like for everybody, not just the wedding party. You show up in the morning, and you're not going home till well after dark. And it's, it's an all-day event. And, it, and actually, they do two or three different ceremonies, so it is a multiple-day event. And at every one of them, they will feed you. And they have, at the bare minimum, they will provide you, not with wine, because they aren't a culture that drinks very much, but they will provide you with a Fanta, right? Like a Coke or, or Citron or, or your favorite Fanta flavor. And, and it would be embarrassing, it would be, you would be ridiculed and mocked and maybe even, maybe not punished, but it would be a big deal to not have enough Fanta for every one of, of your guests in that culture. And it's a very similar thing. Like this was a big deal for them to run out of wine in this setting and in this culture. And, and Mary, the mother of Jesus, notices this. She catches on and then she sees that they're, that they're out of wine and so she brings the issue to Jesus and says, they're out of wine, and, and Jesus' response seems a little snarky, right? Almost like a teenage boy, like talking to his mom, but, but it, it really actually, it just translates this way, and, and the, he calls her woman, but that's just the way they would refer to, to women in that time, but it, he, his response could actually be like, this is just not that big a deal, especially to me. It's, it's really just no big deal. When he, when he says, what's it to me? It's really, no, this is just not that big a deal. And we can tell that like, Mary wasn't offended by what he said because the first thing she does is she walks over to the servants and says, now you do whatever he says. Now I'm going to pause here for just a moment because I think that what Mary points out there, what Mary asks of those servants is something that we as, I don't know, as, as followers of Jesus, but just even people in our, in our culture, there's two things that Mary points out in this and asks of this, these servants that, that we struggle with mightily. And it's, it, we struggle with it when, just in following Jesus, but we definitely struggle with it with one another. The first is, is just simply listening. Let me ask you, like, if you were to rate yourself, how, how are you listening right now? <laughs> I mean, maybe even like right now. Are you even paying attention? Are you, are you looking at your phone? And, or, I'm just kidding. But how, how would you rate your listening? And when, when you're listening to someone, what are, what are you doing as, as you're listening to them? Do you talk more? Then you listen? Do you seek to understand or do you demand to be heard? Do you ask questions or do you make statements? Like, are you, are you leaning in to, to understand and to empathize and to maybe put yourself in the shoes of another person? Or do you just want to make, like, hear what you believe is, is right and, and everything else just kind of goes out the other ear? Because James in chapter uh, one, I believe, verse nine, I'm guessing. He says, it, be quick to listen and slow to speak. You see, we've reached a point in, I don't know, in our culture, in our society, like that, that we've kind of given up on, on listening because we just believe that, that we are right. Like I, I just believe that I'm right and that you're probably gonna be wrong. So I might sit here and pretend to listen but I already know that I'm right, and I already know that you're wrong, so I'm just going to probably just have a hard heart, right? Either a hard heart or, a hard heart or, or deaf ears, and I'm just not going to take it. We just have stopped being willing to listen with, with, with ears to hear. 
We've stopped being willing to listen to understand. We've stopped being willing to listen to, to empathize and to understand perspective and to put ourselves in the shoes of another person. And the result of that is a hard heart towards other people and deaf ears towards people that maybe either think or, or look or, or believe differently than we do. That's where we land. And if you want a, a, a way to practice listening, if you want to get better at listening, then find someone that, you, that maybe thinks differently than you do, who understands things differently than, than you do, or looks at the world differently than you do, and, and just sit and listen to them. And I tell you that because, to be super honest with you, there are going to be times when, when Jesus talks with his disciples and when Jesus talks to other people and his disciples are listening and they're like, I don't agree with that. I can't believe Jesus just said that. And there are going to be times when, when if we want to learn and grow and then develop an ability to listen to Jesus, we're going to need to start getting better at listening to other people. And as we get better at listening to other people, we'll get better at actually listening to Jesus because Jesus will say some things we don't agree with. Jesus will ask us to do some things that we don't want to do. Jesus will push us into some places that we don't want to be. And it's at those parts where we're, and we end up with a hard heart or deaf ears and an unwillingness to listen. Which points us to the second thing that I think Mary was spot on. She says, do whatever he says. The other thing that I think that we struggle with, again, when it's following Jesus or maybe it's just with other people, is, is doing something that someone else tells us to do. <laughs> I've told this story before. Like I, as a teenager, I worked for a farmer, a, a wheat farmer. I just clarify that every time when I say it. I just enunciate really clearly, a wheat farmer. But... And the, the farmer had another guy that worked with, with us. His name was Eric. And Eric was one of those guys that just knew everything, right? And he wasn't afraid to tell you that he knew everything. And he would always use this phrase. He would say, tell you what? And he would tell me something to do. And that just drove me nuts. And he'd call me Scotty, and I just don't want to be called Scotty. And so I was like, tell, tell you what, Scotty? And then he'd tell me something to do. And, and like my attitude towards Eric... Like the way that I looked at him, the way that I understood him, like my perspective of him, it caused me to not want to do whatever it was that he said. And it kept me from doing what he said to do, right? The, my view of him, my understanding of him, all of those things. But here's the thing about when it comes to like doing what someone else like wants you to do or when someone asks you to do something or someone tells you to do something, just like Mary said, do whatever he says. It's a matter of submission, it's all just a, a matter of submission. I love what Richard Foster says when he talks about the practice, the spiritual practice of submission. He says, it's the ability to lay down the terrible burden of always needing to get your own way. <laughs> Stop and just reread that one for a second. Laying down the burden of always needing to get your own way. In the matter of submission, the real issue is the spirit of consideration and respect we have for each other. Last week, when we were talking about following Jesus, we said there's some, some kind of some things that are going to be required of us if we follow Jesus. We're going to need to listen to Jesus. We're going to need to learn to Jesus, learn from Jesus. And we're going to need to practice the ways of Jesus. And submission is the way of Jesus. And we would do well to practice it. Uh, you probably have heard the, the phrase, like, like, practice makes perfect. And I think that's probably true if you want to, you know, be perfect at something. Practice makes for perfect. But 
I actually like this phrase better. Practice makes possible. Because it's in practicing the ways of Jesus' submission specifically that we actually begin to live the life of Jesus. Then we actually make ourselves available to live the life of Jesus through submission. You want to you wanna practice that? You want to practice submission? Let me give you a piece of advice. Find yourself an Eric. Find someone who just maybe drives you a little bit nuts, maybe sees the world a little bit differently than you do. Maybe is someone you work with or someone like a neighbor. I don't know. Someone at Freddy's. It doesn't matter. But, but if they ask you to do something or they want you to do something or they, there's something that they want, do it. Hey, try that. And I'm not saying anything crazy or stupid or unsafe, right? But practice that. And you will get better at submitting to Jesus when he is asking you to do whatever he says. All right, back to the story. So Jesus is about to do something, right? He's going he's gonna to fix this wine crisis. He had all the servants, or I don't even know how many there are, but he, he got the servants. He said, go get those jars, those stone jars, fill them with water. And then they said, he basically says, take a, a you know, Fill it up and, and go and, and take it to the, to the master of the banquet. And, and when the master of the banquet got the, the glass, it, it, he took a drink. Like, like he, he got what he wasn't expecting, right? Like he was expecting the boxed wine from Freddy's, and he got the best wine, like, for, like straight from the, the hills of, of Dundee, right? It's just the best wine ever. And he was surprised by it. I want you to keep in mind that it was only really the, the disciples, maybe Mary, the mother of Jesus, and probably these servants that, that witnessed what took place in this moment as Jesus had them get the jars, fill them with water, dip out water that somewhere along the line is turned into the, the best wine ever. Like these were the, the only people that, that were privy to this situation the guests the the bride the groom all the they had no idea what was going on they just got to enjoy the the bounty they got to enjoy the the good stuff when it when it arrived but but the disciples like they were witnesses they saw what had taken place and keep in mind that it was just the day before when Jesus said you will see greater things you will see heaven open up and you will see heaven invade earth in on and through me he said, but what N.T. Wright puts it this way, he said it, it was um, moments when the transforming power of God's love bursts into the present world through Jesus. Like you will see these moments. And it's in these moments that I believe that Jesus is making two powerful and significant statements to his, his disciples and then to us as well if we are calling ourselves disciples. If we're saying, I'm, I'm here to follow Jesus, he's saying two things in these moments. The first is this, that these are the greater things that I can and that I desire to do in you. Like Jesus is saying, I can change water into wine. I can take the empty spaces and places, the broken spaces and places, the guilt-filled, the shameful, the, the desperate and despair-filled places in your life, and I can transform them into places of joy, into places of hope, into places of, of courage, into places of abundance. Like, I can do that. I can do that, 
and I desire to do that in you. Like, he is telling his disciples this. Like, watch me. These are the greater things that I can do in you. Now, earlier I asked you the question, like, like, what are the greater things that you are expecting? What are the greater things that maybe you're hoping and, and praying for? What are the greater things that, that, that you need or maybe someone you know needs? or Maybe there's a situation that you know of that just needs greater things right now. I asked you that question because if we look at this story, it's like, if this is what Jesus could do with, with uh, six stone jars, a few servants, and some water, imagine what he could do with your marriage. Imagine what he could do with, with the diagnosis. Imagine what he could do at your job. Imagine what he could do in our community. Imagine what he could do in our, in our nation and world. Like there's no limit. Like, he could do more than we could ask, think, or imagine. The question is do we believe him? Jesus is saying these are the greater things that I can and desire to do in you. Do you believe me? Because here's the second thing that, that Jesus, the second significant thing that Jesus is saying. He's saying, these are the greater things that I can do and I desire to do through you. Not only does he, des- does he desire to do these types of things in you, but, but what we'll learn as we walk through this story of Jesus and his disciples, that these are the things that Jesus desires to do in and through those who are following him those who believe in him. He's saying, basically, I can use the available to accomplish the unimaginable. You see, the only thing special about the the water and the, the servants and the jars was their proximity. It was their availability. It was their nearness to the problem. That's the only thing that was special about any of those things. And let that be good news to us. Like, we don't have to be special we just have to be available. We don't have to be awesome. We just have to be proximate. We don't have to be talented. We simply need to be near where the problem is, is taking place, where, like, and available to do whatever Jesus says. The question again, do we believe him? I mean, let me jump back to what I read at the beginning John chapter 14, again, jumping ahead, I apologize. But listen to Jesus. Listen to him closely. He says, believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Or at least believe on the evidence of the works themselves. Like, I just changed water into wine. If you don't believe that that I can do this in and through you and that I want to do this in and through you, at least take a look at what I just did. Because that's exactly what I can and will do in your life if if you will believe me. Very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works that I have been doing. And they will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. So a few more questions. Where do you see emptiness? Where do you see crisis? Where do you see brokenness? Where do you see anxiousness or guilt, shame, fear, despair? You name it. Where do you see that earth could use just a little bit more heaven. Because, here's the thing, if you can see it, then it means that you are likely very near to it. 
right? Like if I can see the problem, then I am close enough to be involved and engaged and leaning into the transformation of that despair into hope, that hurt into healing. Like if I am near enough to see it, I'm near enough to be a participant in the transformation of it. But we have to be willing to do whatever it is that Jesus says. So how can you, and some more questions, how can you be a part of transforming the situations that are nearby? How can you fill those spaces with the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, and patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control? How can you fill these spaces and places with the hope, the courage, the confidence, and the abundance and the presence of Jesus? I don't have all the answers for that because I don't know the situations that are nearest to you. But lean in with the fruit of the Spirit. Lean in with what we see Jesus offering. Hope, courage, confidence, abundance. Start with those things. And then do whatever he says. You see, I can't help, as I looked at this story, I couldn't help but, but think that, that the whole thing wasn't really about the wedding right? It wasn't about what Jesus was, was going to do to, for the bride or the groom or their families. Like, that was nice, and I'm sure they really appreciated it. I mean, he got a thank you note after it all took place, right? Like, this, was, this was a good thing, but Jesus wasn't doing this for them, actually. I think what Jesus was doing is because he knew that his disciples were right there watching in the wings, seeing, like, these are the greater things that I told you that you would see, that they would be the witnesses of it all. And then eventually that they would be invited into the participation of these kinds of greater things on earth as it is in heaven. But there's a lot, of, a lot that would take place between the water and the wine and then John chapter 14 when Jesus tells them you're going to do even greater things than these. There's a lot that took, that's going to take place between then and now and, and then. And that's why here at the end of this passage, John points out like this is the first of signs and there's actually going to be seven of them. Seven of these signs that that point to Jesus' identity. They point to Jesus' messiahship. They point to to who he is and what he is like. And, And John intentionally at the end of it, he says, and the disciples believed in him. The disciples, they believed him. I think those are two important concepts. Like we can say we believe the Jesus is the Messiah, that Jesus is the Son of God, that Jesus is all of those titles that were listed in the first chapter. But then do we believe him? Do we believe him and and does our life reflect that? Do we begin to lean into those those broken places that that are proximate to us? Because it says here that the disciples, that they believe in him. And as we'll see, they'll continue to follow him, not without struggle, not without challenge, and not without hard things being asked of them and hard situations surrounding them, but they will continue to operate in it. And this is the hope, right? This is the whole reason why John wrote this, the story of Jesus. Do you remember we talked about this the last few weeks, that at the end of John's gospel, he says this. He says, these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing, you will have life in his name. And today, like, as we looked at this story, we just got another glimpse into what like, that kind of life, what 
that kind of life is and what that kind of life requires of us. And it looks like greater things. I'm going to invite the, the worship team to come up. And as they do, I've got like three last questions. I know you're like, stop with the questions. But they're, they're actually questions I've already asked before. But they're questions that I want you to, to thoughtfully and, and prayerfully consider as, as we close this opportunity to be together, centered around Jesus. Here are the questions I want you to consider. Are you hoping, are you believing for greater things? Do you, do you see the need do you see a need for greater things? And are you available? Are you nearby? <laughs> are you proximate? I want to invite you to, to, to stand with me. I'm going to close with a prayer. It's a prayer that's been adapted out of uh, Ephesians chapter 3. And as I pray this prayer, I... I want to encourage you to, to maybe consider some sort of, I don't know, some sort of response. 